0: Happy Happy
1: Halloween,
0: Halloween, Halloween, Happy Happy Halloween, Silver Shamrock. Happy Happy Halloween, Halloween, Halloween,
1: Happy Happy Halloween, Silver Shamrock. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon. And remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time.
0: Welcome to Worth Watching Host Choice where we hosts finally get a chance to choose what we watch. Today we're doing our second John Carpenter related film in a row, the 1982 film Halloween 3: Season of the Witch. I'm your host <laughs> and I don't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> My co-host is Guy, who is famous for inventing sticky toilet paper.
1: <laughs> Doesn't seem very practical, yeah. Guy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it always ends up sticky one way or another. <laughs> so, uh,
0: you chose this film, uh, and so what? What's your background
1: or feelings about this? You know, when- you know, I. I don't remember how long ago I first saw it. I don't think I saw it when it released. I think it was some time later, but, uh, I think it was just one of those movies where I was looking for something to watch that I hadn't seen. And I had probably heard some things about this, like how it wasn't one of your standard Halloween series movies. And, uh, uh, I think I just sort of took a flyer on it and, uh, it ended up that I really enjoyed it. So I've watched it several times since then. And, uh, yeah, I get a kick out of it. <laughs> so, a few things. I mean, for me,
0: always, uh, Carpenter is fascinating to me because so many of his movies were, you know, B movies or, or whatever, right? Where they were kind of done quickly and low budget and the acting is not necessarily the best, et cetera. And then he does... The Thing, which is, you know, we, we've both said many times on the show, one one of our, both of our favorite films. And there is mm-hmm. nothing B movie about The Thing at all. I mean, the oh, actors yeah. are great. The shots are great. You know, there's just nothing about yeah, it. Yeah, A
1: couple of the practical effects are a little yeah. bit, you know, I mean, uh, like when the blood is on the floor and you can tell it's just like a surface is being tilted. So gravity's pulling it. Around. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But it's a. Uh, yeah, those are minor quibbles, I'd say.
0: Yeah, so it's really interesting that someone who does these kind of B-level movies then does one of the, you know, just best movies ever, right? And and um so I'm always whenever I watch one of his films I'm kind of looking for where it fits, right? So for example, we did They Live. And I would call They Live a B movie, right? I mean, I enjoy it a mm-hmm. lot, but again, it has some of those things where some of the acting or some of the shots are, you know, it's just
1: Yeah, you it's know, it's got some cheesiness that you don't really find in the thing.
0: Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'll I'll hold off until my comments at the end on where I put <laughs> this, which I I you know maybe I saw Halloween when I was a kid. I mean the thing is when when we were young and Halloween came out, it was so pervasive, it was so successful that I can't even tell if I watched it or I just saw lots of clips oh, yeah. from it or you know I don't know you know.
1: I know for me it was one of those that my folks took me to the drive-in to see.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, I'm not sure that's a good comment on their parenting, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, But uh yeah, so I don't even know if I ever fully watched the first one. I probably did at least once, but it, it was just, you know, part of the culture of the childhood. Um it's not a series that I've that I've paid attention to so I come to this, you know, kind of totally fresh. Now, doing some reading about it, I knew that, and you had mentioned a little bit about this previously. That Carpenter wasn't happy with the fact that what they did with Halloween two, and then what they did after Halloween three, was just keep coming back to Michael Myers, right? Because yeah, his concept is this was like the Twilight Zone or something. It was a an anthology right. series where each film would be different.
1: Yeah, and the idea I think was that it would be released around Halloween every year. There'd be a new installment that was completely right. its own thing, except for the name.
0: So they had so whoever had done the second film, and that was in Michael Myers, and he got a chance with this film to, you know, try his idea out. Him and Deborah Hill, I guess the other writer who he worked with, who um, also wanted to do this. Now he didn't direct the film. But he was responsible for kind of, you know, the plot of the film. And he did, he worked on the music and everything. So he was pretty involved in it, even though he didn't mm. direct it. It did not do well. So after this, they returned to, let's just have Michael Myers keep coming back. Right? Yeah. And, you know, I can't blame him if you're going to, you want to make money off your film. And that's what causes people to, um, to come to the film, you know? Oh yeah. Okay. So... Halloween 3.
1: Well, it kicks off with, uh, you know, your old cathode ray tube television. uh, And you can see the scan lines. It's really zoomed in. And uh, you've got computer graphics being drawn on it. And actually, they do have, I think, some space in between the scan lines that's uh, just used to make it more visible on the screen, I think, the individual lines, because what happens is that you have an orange background and these black lines or black sections of the orange lines are vanishing uh, to form a bigger picture that we'll gradually see form. Um, But each time one of these little uh, lines vanishes or a portion of it, there's a tone to go with it. So that ends up being uh, part of the opening music. You, know, you have some music that's not directly connected to the display, but also every time one of those lines vanishes, you get a little tone and sometimes you'll get staccato tones, yeah, da 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 and sometimes <laughs> there'll be more you know, it just the pitch and the speed change according to what's happening on the screen. So it's kind of slick, I think. And we eventually see that they're forming a big orange jack-o'-lantern, and this image is not there just to say this is Halloween. It's, uh, it actually plays a rather pivotal role in the in the movie. Uh, yeah, I and mean, I think we shouldn't mention,
0: you know, when we talk about these graphics and everything, that this was what 1982. I mean, yeah. the the Mac hadn't come out yet. I mean. This is a time when this sort of thing was, you know, was very cutting edge, um, and yeah. and you know, very different than how they might have done it later or whatever. But but at the time, this was you know something that was pretty intriguing. Yeah,
1: so. and uh, you know, this eighty two, that I think was the year when I started uh, my seventh grade math class had a little two week unit on computer programming, and that was my first. <laughs> introduction was the Apple II Plus, and All you right, could draw. Yeah. It had two different graphics modes. they had these chunky, low-resolution blocks you could draw with, and then it had the higher resolution but fewer colors mode. So something like this. Was doable on on something like an Apple II Plus, but right. but in nineteen eighty two, there weren't a whole lot of people who had access. So to I think my still, first so.
0: programming was also on the Apple II. Then it was on the TRS eighty. If you remember that one, the Trash eighty from mm, yeah. but, um, And one of the funky things is maybe, but I think the Plus maybe had changed this, but like the Apple II itself um could only do uppercase characters <laughs> so, oh yeah one of the things is on the very early online forums you know long before the web and, and all that um you would get annoyed because anyone with an apple machine all their messages would be in all uppercase <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then i know like some third parties released like you know you could buy a little box or something that would let you do lowercase <laughs> mm, yeah so, kids, you have no idea. <laughs> also, as we'll see later in this film, you know, this film still has uh, people using dial phones, which is oh yeah. I think we've talked about it before, but every time I see someone using a dial phone, it just sends this shiver through me because it's so annoying. T- especially, especially when you had to dial the zero, so you had to bring the thing all the way around, and it was like hurting oh, your finger. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the higher the number, the bigger the dial for yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> so we end up with a picture of a CGI jack-o'-lantern, and this is not, you know, your CGI with uh, elaborate shading. This is just orange on black. Um, but but this will uh, reappear several times in a television commercial. And, uh, yeah, you'll... Uh, If you manage to grow up without hearing the song, London Bridge is Falling Down, you will know the tune by the end of this movie. I didn't even
0: realize that's what they were using. I am going to (laughs) say I wanted to uh, uh, claw—and I watched this film basically two or three times. You know, but I wanted to claw my eyes out. I mean, they they want it to be annoying, and God, is it annoying? And yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: and the the background music too. They have this bouncy little synthesizer, yeah. It really uh really leaves an impression on you, but that's that's all part of the charm of the movie. <laughs> I guess charm is one word. <laughs> <laughs> So the movie starts out on Saturday, October 23rd. Uh, It's nighttime and we see a big overpass and a guy is running down the road under the overpass and he's hiding off to the side of the road and we see headlights uh, come around a distant bend and the guy books after that because that car is pursuing and Mm. searching for him. He runs into a scrapyard and after a moment or two of hiding and running around looking for solutions you know trying to get into the locked trailers and so forth uh the car arrives and it turns out that there's also another person already in the scrapyard who does a little jump scare here and uh, so he's got these guys in two-piece business suits uh, who don't seem very emotional about their killing duties. And
0: uh, I have to say, there's this weird theme of that idea of people in a business suit who are emotionless and have gloves in this case, right? Like Firefly had that too, right? Like the big bad guys were exactly this, except their gloves mm. were blue. That was their uh, part of it. And, uh, you know, other so it's just something that gets reused a lot. You know, the, the, scary, oh, yeah. <laughs> the scary emotionless business guy. Oh, X-Files have that Um, you know agent
1: smith from yeah uh, yeah
0: same thing yeah so yeah it's a it's it it, clearly it it plugs into something in our brains right (laughs) oh yeah
1: yeah well clothes make the man (laughs) so this guy who's been fleeing now he's down on the ground being choked um, but he sees a chain conveniently lying on the ground near him that runs over to a block that's propping up a car, uh, you know, keeping it from rolling away. So he yanks the chain enough to pull the block out, and the car starts rolling right towards him and his attacker. (laughs) Since he's on the ground, the car doesn't hit him. It, it, It hits his attacker and rolls into the bumper of another car. And this guy, the attacker, gets crushed, he doesn't seem too upset about it. He he <laughs> dies, but but he seems to take it with equanimity. Otherwise, yeah, we're um, all going to go
0: sometimes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, so then the fleeing guy flees some more because there's still uh you know other other business who guys who were in the car that came into the scrapyard. Then we get a caption telling us it's an hour later, and <laughs> this uh, cracks
0: me up because. I don't know if you've seen this internet meme that's used in a lot of YouTube videos. There's some guy who did these moments oh. where he'd be like,
1: "One hour later," or "One oh, week yeah, later." I think it's from SpongeBob. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, it's like six seconds later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, I didn't. I've never seen SpongeBob,
0: so I didn't know. But it is pretty funny. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this is an hour later, and uh, in a little lonely gas station, there's uh, the attendants in there watching TV. And the news mentions that uh, it's got a big picture of Stonehenge, the famous old uh, druidic monument uh in overseas there in Great Britain or wherever. I, I've been there. Um, I went there. <laughs> no, no, couldn't I've I've been there in uh Assassin's Creed Valhalla. <laughs>
0: just, yeah, but I think you so far we've determined you've been everywhere in the world thanks to Assassin's
1: Creed. So. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so uh the news mentions that one of the big standing stones has been stolen. <laughs> well those then you know they don't really have any leads or anything but it just mentions that and of course that is uh something that that plays into the story
0: what well, they all say is that's kind of um, interesting about their approach here i mean of course when you see this you know that like okay somehow this stone is gonna play into things right but this is mentioned for like five seconds at the very beginning of the film and it doesn't come back until the end of the film like you could easily forget about it you know oh yeah <laughs> so, yeah
1: yeah when uh when we do uh run into it again later uh we get a nice little explanation although uh some tantalizing details are left out but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's yeah true. it is adequately reintroduced i think so then after this news break, uh, we get the f- commercial and it, it is the first silver shamrock commercial for silver shamrock novelties. They have a range of three exciting Halloween masks, which are the most basic <laughs> Halloween masks imaginable there. But I noticed in here, they do a little
0: verbal trick. I don't remember if it's from the, the station attender guy or whatever, but because there are three masks. They managed to say Halloween three Ah. mass, right? And so they kind of just stick in the name of the film.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't catch that. Uh, Now the
0: thing I didn't notice until I'd, I'd watched this uh, a couple of times, I did not, even though it's a big part of the film, I did not realize that every time you see the commercial, they're counting down the number of days. To Halloween, right? So the commercials oh, say right. eight days to Halloween or four days to Halloween, or right. I, didn't, I even though it's really important in the movie, I did not pick it up the first time through because <laughs> I was so freaking annoyed about
1: the. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, but that's uh, yeah. To to give our listeners an example, that's eight more days till Halloween, <laughs> Halloween, Halloween. Yeah. So, yeah, they've got a constant timer going and so anyway uh these these masks they're the big sellers, and you know you've only got three masks there's a witch, there's a jack o' lantern and there's a skull and yet they're they're a big deal so i'm I'm thinking probably in the in the story world of the universe or what whatever you want to call it, the the movie's <laughs> universe uh these are probably like the cabbage patch kids of that year, you know, like the company has been hyping them and advertising them heavily enough that every kid wants a silver so the, the shamrock The kind of bizarre
0: mask. thing is, I mean, you can understand that for one year, like, right, there's some set of masks that go crazy and everybody wants them. But it's clear that, as we learn in the film, these have been building up and every year they're like selling more. So the same masks apparently are selling more and more uh, <laughs> every year. People aren't getting tired of them or or anything, so.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's like uh it's like uh, Gucci or Jordache or yeah. whatever, you know, the <laughs> I don't know if Jordache is even still around, but it used to be a big uh, big seller. Anyway, uh so this commercial establishes that Silver Shamrock has three different uh, exciting Halloween masks for sale and uh on the night of Halloween There's going to be a big giveaway, so the kids all have to gather around the TV set at 9 o'clock to watch the big giveaway. And I think this is, you know,
0: I'm sure there's some other way this is happening for kids now, but when we were kids, I mean, oh, my God, you know, we would watch Saturday morning cartoons, and they would have all those ads for, you know, the Star Wars toys or whatever, you know, or the little bikes, uh, those, or the, uh, Hot Wheels, right? Bikes and all that. And oh, oh yeah. and I got to tell you, at least for me, Oh God, I want, I mean, our family didn't have money. We couldn't buy that kind of stuff, but I so wanted every toy that I saw in those commercials. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those advertisers know their stuff. I, I think I might have told you. I, I it's stuck in my mind for decades now. Where I was reading some article where they had a brief interview, just like a quote from an advertiser. They were talking about the, you know, de- decay of modern society yeah. and all that. And there was some ad that was being, uh, that was being especially singled out. And they asked one of the uh, advertising copywriters or whoever about it and uh, he said uh you know look i just make ads i don't create the culture and i thought well no that's pretty much (laughs) what creating the culture is (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anyway the silver shamrock commercial is on the tv uh the attendance just sort of poking around his gas station he thinks he heard a noise he's going around looking and uh then this guy the fleeing guy that we saw back (laughs) at the scrapyard he jump scares the attendant then he collapses he's clutching this little uh pumpkin mask yeah it's a silver shamrock mask but we don't know that quite yet but it is um he collapses on the ground and he says they're coming (laughs) The attendant uh, loads him into the tow truck and takes him to the hospital. And as they leave, we see one of the business suit guys standing around the corner of the gas station watching them depart. So, back at uh, Dr. Chalice's ex wife's house, he enters, uh, and Dr. Chalice is Tom Atkins, who we last saw in Escape from New York.
0: Oh, well, um, wait, where is he?
1: He was, he was leaving Cleef's next in command. Oh, okay. he was it was like the. I don't think I really noticed him or whatever. Bad. But
0: I know, I think, um, not Cameron, <laughs> Carpenter does like obviously reusing actors. Um, oh yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I have to admit that character really escaped me in, in, in that. So.
1: Yeah, and it turns out uh, Tom Atkins has been in a ton of stuff, including some very, very famous movies. Uh, but he's, you know, he he rarely, this is a leading role for him, but he rarely gets one of those, I think. Uh, I, I think and I was thinking, you know, side. I could absolutely imagine a universe where he played
0: Snake Plissken, right? Because mm. he has that kind of chiseled look to him and everything.
1: Now, I don't. Yeah, yeah, he could probably get away with that, yeah.
0: I don't think he rises to the level of Kurt, you know, but, uh, Oh, sure. Uh, but I could see where that might've happened, right? Like if Kurt had had turned down the film, I could see him being cast for it. Mm
1: Hmm. That could have worked. But, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy him. I, the things I have seen him in, I I always get a kick out of him. He's I believe he's the dad in Creepshow also, mm-hmm. which uh, is another one of my favorites that I don't know if I have in my host choice list. But well, I, I think you mentioned uh, you it before, and I've it. said I haven't seen it, so you should, you should add it to your list. <laughs> uh, okay, very good. Anyway, Dr. Chalice walks in his ex-wife's front door. His kids are glad to see him. He's obviously at least a decent dad and, yeah as far as kid pleasing goes, (laughs) excuse me. Although Um, we do
0: find out that apparently he's been, I mean, it's just kind of implied in here, but apparently he's been drinking before this and he's a doctor and we, you know, we, they don't, overdo it but throughout the film we kind of see yeah he really likes the drinking thing
1: <laughs> so, yeah yeah he'll show up here and there with a the fresh unopened six pack you know just like when he's making a call from a pay phone you'll see him the you know in the mailbox right next to him he's set down his six pack <laughs> yeah
0: in that case right before he gets in the car <laughs> you know, his girlfriend's yeah. like yeah I wonder what's going to happen there but I okay. <laughs>
1: 1982
0: it wasn't such a big deal
1: <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> So his kids are glad to see him, but his ex-wife is not, and she's <laughs> a she's a bit dowdy. You know, the costuming is kind of trying to convey that she's a bit more buttoned down. She's got like a shawl and uh, you know a very conservative <laughs> outfit, you know, and uh, and she's also kind of a bitch. <laughs> she uh now now granted, I'm I'm taking Doctor Chalice's side, and that's because Doctor Charles is just a cool guy. But uh, yeah, she's a. Uh, she can yeah, and he does, as we
0: see, he's quite willing to sleep around. So it may be that he wasn't. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure. I would take his side in the sense that I, you know, well,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no doubt she has her grievances, uh, and we even find a few in, during the course of the film where he's constantly, you know, he's yeah. he's a doctor, so he's always getting paged. Yeah, no, I can't
0: and deal with the kids tonight or whatever. And I mean, I know yeah. I have watched a lot. I have mean, watched so so many you know youtube crime and and trial videos and everything and, the, and this whole thing of i mean i feel so bad for couples who are dealing with a divorce and doing all this and then it's like oh are you taking the kids tonight you're not you know so you set up like a date because you think they're taking the kids and then they call you up and say they can't take the kids and now you're you know everything's all screwed yeah up and, you know you know all that stuff no oh, yeah know.
1: yeah i i have some friends who deal with the same thing and it's uh yeah i, I understand it can be rough so <laughs> i'm not totally without compassion for the wife, but, uh, gee, she just seems like she needs to lighten up. You know, maybe get some Valium prescription or something. Anyway, Charles has brought presents for his kids, but the kids, when they open the—they're they, just in paper bags. He didn't wrap them or anything, of course, but That's the like kids me. open up the bags. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the kids open up the bags, and they're disappointed. Uh, they're Halloween masks, but— they're not silver shamrock masks yeah. and their mom already got them authentic silver shamrock masks. Uh, so right. you know, it's, it's like, a yeah, a, it's
0: like, as you know, if it was the year for garbage pill kids and you brought them in some, you know, pretenders or whatever, it would just,
1: you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he just, he, he, his, his heart was in the right place, but, uh, he just didn't deliver the goods. So, Charles gets a page from the hospital, so he uses his ex-wife's phone to call in uh, while the kids put on their masks and sit by the TV to watch the latest Silver Shamrock commercial. Uh, You know, apparently they just really enjoy the music or something, (laughs) I guess. And they're also, I suppose, rehearsing for the night of the big giveaway Mm -hmm. on Halloween. So, then we we go to the hospital. Charles is arriving there in response to that page he got. Um, The gas station attendant is there, and the guy who was fleeing, he's in there in a stretcher. He's unconscious. Uh, The stretcher is right now, it's sitting in the middle of a hospital hallway, and there's a room right next to it, and in that room, the TV is on, and guess what comes (laughs) on the TV? (laughs) Eight more days till Halloween. (laughs) And this jingle wakes up the guy in the stretcher. And he starts ranting. He says, they're going to kill us, all of us. (laughs) Uh, And he's clutching this little orange jack-o'-lantern mask, which is, of course, a silver shamrock mask. Meanwhile, we see that one of the business suit guys is standing outside the hospital, and uh, he looks like he means business. He's even uh, putting on his little gloves and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. So, Chalice in the hospital, uh, the patients, he's now situated in a room He checks on him for a moment. Then he uh, uh, talks to one of the nurses, flirts a little with her, just playfully. I don't think he has any romantic interest in her. He's just, you know, they're just kidding around, you know. And then he goes to rest in the doctor's lounge because it's a slow night. When the room is empty, the business guy comes in and kills the patient. And this (laughs) is, I had forgotten what a nasty little scene this is. I mean, it's not, there's not a lot of explicit gore, but uh, first first it uh he gouges out the guy's eyes but he's only doing that to be able to get a good grip on the skull from the inside and he snaps the bridge of the guy's nose and you see it move i mean it's just a you know for for the lack of blood and all it's still a pretty damn disturbing scene i thought
0: yeah i would say i think this is the creepiest scene of the movie uh because first And they clearly do this on purpose, right? First, you just see his fist, and it looks like he's going to punch the guy. Yeah. But then he extends the first and last finger and pokes out his eyes. And then, you know, pulls out, you know, and it's just like, okay, this is pretty, (laughs) pretty intense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So then uh, his dirty business done, the, uh, the businessman wipes his bloody hands right on the curtain, you know, the the <laughs> one that is in hospital rooms to give the patients some privacy. He just wipes his hands on the curtain. The nurse comes in and catches him there, and he just brushes past her and leaves, and then she sees what's going on, the dead guy in the bed, and she screams. This wakes up Dr. Chalice, and he gives chase. He gets out to the parking lot just in time to see this guy get into a car, douse himself with gasoline, and light it up, <laughs> which makes the whole car blow up, which is uh, so it's quite a fun little scene. Yeah. I'm going to
0: say, uh, you know, it looks intriguing. I'm not sure how it makes sense. Like, why you know, why would you do this? But okay. <laughs> I'm not sure we ever, yeah. you know, find out in terms of the movie why why you would do this, but okay. He could have just left in the car. That would be an option. Yeah, you would,
1: uh, <laughs> you would think that would be an option, but, uh, it opens up some other, uh, little side conversations later on with the coroner's right, assistant right, yeah. and, and and that's all kind of, uh, you know. I, d- I don't know that that really buys us a whole lot either, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Stretches out the movie, I guess, because this know, is a you know. short movie. You know, no, it's uh, 99 a 90, minutes yeah. or something like that. And
0: again, it's like, well, I could immolate myself or I could get away. I guess I'll immolate <laughs> myself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose it does suggest that he's in some kind of cult, mm. and in a, in a way, I guess he mm. is. But we'll get to that in due time. So Chalice gets back into the hospital. He calls his ex. He can't pick the kids up. She gripes at him. Mm -hmm. After uh, he ends the call, he looks thoughtfully at that orange jack-o'-lantern mask that the patient had been holding onto. And then it's Sunday the 24th. Uh, It's daylight. The sheriff's deputies are in the patient's room. He's still lying in the bed there with his face covered. The man's daughter, Ellie, comes in to confirm his identity. The cop says, you might not want to do this just now, uh, but she she wants to do it and be done with it. And uh, she's horrified when she sees the current state of her dad's face, but she (laughs) confirms that it is her dad. The chalice is in there standing off to the side. He doesn't say anything. Uh, Later, he goes out into the hall, and he sees her down the hall crying, and he looks at her. And she looks back and sees him. It's like she sensed his presence behind her. But then he just turns and walks away. And uh, that's all that happened Sunday (laughs) because then it's Wednesday.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll say about this. So uh, in doing a little bit of reading about the reaction to it, so Ebert did not like the movie, but Mm -hmm. he called her out as the best thing in the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to that. She has kind of an energy and intensity I don't know that she, you know, so I'm not familiar with her. I didn't look it up. I, n- I don't know if she's done a, much after this. Yeah, but, um,
1: I don't know. think she's been in a whole lot of stuff. And Stacy Nelkin is the actress's name. And I did actually look up information on her at one time because, uh, uh, I think she's just extraordinarily pretty. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just, uh, to my taste, you mm-hmm. know, I like the big dark eyes and <laughs> she's got that in abundance. And, uh, it turns out now I, I didn't re research her for this uh podcast, but if I remember correctly, she was originally slated to be one of the replicant fugitives in Blade Runner, wow, uh, with Rutger Hauer and Daryl yeah. Hannah and all them, a, um, yeah, which is a huge film for me. I don't know if we've even talked about that, but uh, yeah, I you know, um. No, I, I love Blade Runner too. Yeah. Uh, Ridley Scott. Between Alien and Blade Runner, those those two alone would make him mm-hmm. sort of a legendary director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she's uh Stacy Nelkin. Ellie Grimbridge is the character's name. Uh, she's uh, she's terrific. I I always mm-hmm. enjoy seeing her in this. Wednesday the twenty seventh, uh, Charless visits the coroner's assistant. a uh, Pleasant, pretty, red haired lady, uh, uh, and she she's seems to be old friends with chalice possibly they dated at some point yeah
0: they seem so, to be pretty close
1: <laughs> yeah and he's asking her for a favor he, he wants her to check out this murder more closely because he's he's just disturbed at how it all went down she says she will and she seems to still uh have a good deal of affection for him so uh yeah, you know, she's yeah. well, uh, literary, later on, she she's mentions, like, oh,
0: you have to have dinners with me or whatever for right. What I've done, right? So, yeah, it's, like I say, they're clearly pretty close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm also going to say, no matter who he's sleeping with at the time in the movie, he's happy to, um, <laughs> so, so clearly he's a, what do they call him, a man about town or,
1: you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a bit of a playboy, maybe. But, uh, so then we skipped from Wednesday to Friday. So, uh, in the space of about, you know, less than 10 minutes, we've skipped from, uh, Saturday, the 23rd to Friday, the 29th. And this time, Chalice is drinking in a cozy little neighborhood bar. Uh, he asked the bartender to change the television station and, uh, when the bartender does, there's an advertisement for the, and these are the words the commercial uses, the immortal classic, Halloween, which was made, <laughs> made four whole years previous to this movie coming out. So it might be premature to judge it as an immortal classic, although I think at this point, uh, you know, that's probably a fair assessment. Right, uh,
0: and it won't be the last time we see Halloween. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. And the original Halloween is going to be showing on Halloween night to be followed by the big giveaway at 9. So apparently Halloween is going to be broadcast at 7 p.m., which usually isn't considered. Yeah, that's usually family programming at 7 (laughs) p.m., but uh, I guess you can make an exception for Halloween. And then, of course, an actual Silver Shamrock ad comes on. Which disgusts uh, Chalice. He's he's gotten as sick of the song as you are. <laughs> so, and I think uh, this is this is just a you know a, probably not relevant to anything. But uh, early on in Scrooged, there's that initial ad that Frank Cross doesn't like, uh, and it talks about Dickens's immortal classic, A Christmas Carol. So I wonder if immortal classic is just <laughs> one of those phrases that pops up again and again. Mm. Anyway, Ellie comes into the bar. The hospital staff told her that she could find him here. So the, the staff knows him pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> she asks if her dad said anything before he died. And, and he thinks about it a minute and he says, Tell Ellie I love her. And she says, You're a bad liar, but thank you anyway. Mm. So then he relents. He does tell her the truth, and uh, he adds that he's really shaken by it. And I think that that what you said earlier, I don't know what the hell is going on. I think this is where he uh, (laughs) says that. So they're both upset, and they they sort of exchange a look, and it's kind of understood that they're going to be partners in getting to the bottom of this. So then we see the interior of Harry Grimbridge's store, which is closed for the time being which is unfortunate because this is a busy season for (laughs) that store she shows ellie shows chalice her dad's travel records um he was scheduled to go to a town called santa mira to pick up some masks from a factory there and then the day after that he had a dinner date scheduled and he never showed up for that dinner date so she thinks santa mira might be the place to check out first (laughs) <laughs> Which,
0: um, by having, you know, spent much of my life in California, they're talking about Santa Rosa. You know, it's just one of those cases mm-hmm. where they just, you know, change the name for the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because they keep talking about San Francisco and, you know, et cetera. So, yeah, this is Santa Rosa. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, I did I did read. Uh, I I actually read one or two critical articles about this movie since I'd seen it so many times. I figured yeah. it's not going to spoil anything <laughs> for me. And it turns out Santa Mira was the name of the town in the original invasion of the body snatchers. Ah, okay. I'm uh, sure so that's this where is it kind came of from, a homage yeah. to that. That's great. Yeah. So Chalice uses a payphone outside, and I think this is where he has a fresh six pack of Miller High Life <laughs> sitting next <laughs> Before, to the payphone. Right,
0: and then he takes it into the car, so it's pretty clear <laughs> what's going to happen.
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> So he uses the payphone. And he calls off his plans with the kids for Saturday, which we, the last yeah. time and we And he's him totally lying to his ex wife, his
0: ex-wife, right? Like, oh, I'm at a yeah. conference, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, she has a bunch every, of
1: boring doctors. She has every t- reason <laughs> to be pissed off at him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I bet he's investigating a murder here, you know, <laughs> cut the guy some slack. With a beautiful young
0: girl <laughs> that, you know, anyway. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All the more reason to investigate. Yeah so uh ellie's drives up her car i'm not i'm not sure exactly what kind it is but it's one of those uh i think it's like one of those two-door 80s sedans you know like a uh like a buick regal or something like that anyway it's a nice little early 80s car she picks him up and the camera pans back to the window of a television shop along the street and all the televisions are on and guess what commercial was play? <laughs> yeah, you can guess. So then we see some California back roads that they have to drive through to get to Santa Mira. And um, this reminded me of American Truck Simulator. <laughs> if you ever play that, <laughs> it's, uh, you can drive on a lot of uh, back roads similar to this if you want to capture the uh, Halloween 3 experience. <laughs> Charles reads off some history. I guess he had looked up uh it's uh santa mira is an irish company town you know most of the residents are of irish ancestry uh silver shamrock is the big employer that's pretty much all there is in town and as ellie's car drives through the very very small town uh the townsfolk we we catch glimpses of them watching from their windows you know it's not like a super furtive thing where they're like peeking out from behind curtains they're Hmm. just sort of Standing in their living room or whatever, and they sort of look up as she goes by. Yeah, but it's a little on the sinister side. And we see an impressive old brick factory uh, with the Silver Shamrock Novelties logo upon the chimney or clock tower or some such thing. And they decide, Ellie and Chalice decide to go to this Rose of Shannon Motel uh, to make their plans on how they're going to proceed. The proprietor, he's this, uh, Rafferty is his name, he's the stereotypical folksy old Irish man, Uh, and he shows Ellie around the rented rooms, uh, and she's sort of trying to keep him occupied while Chalice goes to the motel office and checks out the guest rooms.
0: Yeah, and I felt like, I mean, this actor was really laying it on, right, (laughs) in terms of the
1: the Irish thing and everything. Yeah, (laughs) very folksy, very Irish, yeah. yeah. (laughs) and uh it turns out from looking at the guest register sure enough harry grimbridge did check in here so now they're they're on the trail meanwhile at the whole at the motel room uh rafferty points out uh cochran's black caddy uh it's a a Cadillac, uh, at least I think it was. It looked like one to me. Um, but Rafferty points this out because Cochran, Connell Cochran, is the big man in town. Mm-hmm. He's the founder of Silver Shamrock uh, and the employer of most of the population, apparently. So as the black Cadillac passes by, he points it out and he says, "He's a great man, a true <laughs> genius." Well, he's a true genius. I'll give him that much. (laughs) Great man. Yeah, arguable. (laughs) So, Chalice is walking back from the office to his room, and a Winnebago pulls in, a big old heavy Winnebago. (laughs) And uh, it screeches to a halt in the parking lot, and a loose bike comes sliding off the roof, and it nearly hits Chalice. But it, it doesn't. It misses him just by a hair. The driver gets out and apologizes, and it's the Kupfer family of San Diego. And this guy is sort of here. He's got sort of a, he's a friendly guy, but he's also got a touch of the old used car salesman aspect to him. But, well, he is a salesman. He's here to pick up masks for his store. His kid, Buddy Jr., he's a disrespectful little punk. He, he goes off riding his bike and flips off his mom when she tells him to be careful. And, yeah, So he's he's a rotten little kid, but uh, it'll turn out that this town has its own Willy Wonka. So, uh, you know, <laughs> so kids like Buddy aren't safe. Right. It's funny. With this
0: family, I had two reactions. The first one here was the family you first meet in Harry Potter, right? The ones who were keeping mm. harry potter and the father is fat and they're really awful people and <laughs> you know buddy here is fat and it's it, and they have the kid and everything so it's very similar and then later when they're going to get a tour of a factory it's very willy wonka so that was sort of oh, the, yeah. So yeah, I definitely definitely picked up on the, the willy wonka <laughs> thing
1: <laughs> so Charles proceeds back towards his motel room but there's another interruption another car pulls in and an annoyed woman gets out. This is Marge Gutman. She also has a store. Hers is in San Francisco. We'll find <laughs> in out In Union Square. So, yeah. It's yeah. There. <laughs> uh And her order got mixed up. So she's come into town to try and straighten it out. And she complains about having to stay at this motel again. I think she calls it this dump or something like that. She's been here times in the past it seems I and mean, in fact it seems like this motel caters mainly to mask buyers <laughs> so this is probably its busy season yep back in the room ellie and chalice decide they're going to rest a bit before they visit the factory um chalice talks about <laughs> you know sleeping in the car or on the floor and uh LA says very pointedly, where do you want to sleep, Dr. Chalice? <laughs> it,
0: his response is actually one of my favorite lines it's of the a, films. It's so like uh, yeah. that's a dumb question or something. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's a dumb question, Miss Grimbridge. <laughs> <laughs> uh and then in the the town has a PA system, you know, little yeah. loudspeakers on the telephone poles and uh uh, we get an announcement at six o'clock curfew, <laughs> Yeah, which is
0: really weird. And they keep repeating it, right? It's very much like 1984 or something like, oh, the curfew started. It's like, and they never come back to this, but it's like, okay, wow. There's something really oppressive about this town and a six yeah. o'clock curfew. That means basically you get off work, you get home <laughs> and now you can't, you know, go shopping or whatever. You just have
1: to. Well, Yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah, it's a little odd here in Santa Mira. And night falls, and we get some shots of the quiet town. Nobody out on the streets, and there are a lot of security cameras everywhere. Right, and again,
0: this is like 1982. So this is before the whole CCTV kind of thing, right? So the cameras are a little more creepy. Um, Also, Mm -hmm. every time we see a camera, it's moving in a way that we can tell that some human person or, you know, human-like person is operating it, right? Because the cameras follow what they're watching and, and all that stuff. Right. So, yeah.
1: Although, given what we find out about Connell Cocker, and these might not necessarily be human operators.
0: Well, that's why I was saying so. human-like person. <laughs> <So>.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Chalice leaves the liquor store because apparently liquor stores are an exception <laughs> to the curfew in Santa Mir, uh, probably because this is an Irish town yeah. and all. You know. <laughs> I'm part Irish, so I get to claim the Blarney Pass. Well, and it's
0: funny because so when I was working for Apple and do training, doing training, I would go to Ireland a lot to do training because there's a big Apple facility there. And... It turns out that, um, especially for the older folks, like, you know, these um, uh, cab drivers, they were usually older than I would do and everything, and they were all sober because, uh, now, the young folks were drunk as hell, that's another thing, but <laughs> um, the older guys were sober because there had been so much concern and focus on everyone in Ireland being an alcoholic that they had all these programs and everything else, and so, huh. uh, so the old guys had kind of sobered up, it was interesting.
1: Yeah. Huh. Oh, well, good for them, I guess. <laughs> sounds, sounds sad, but, uh, you
0: know,
1: who knows? I could uh, I could be there myself one day. We'll right. see. So, Chalice gets out of the liquor store with the big old bottle, and uh, he's walking along the sidewalk, and out of an alley, a bum lurches out, another little jump scare there. You know, <laughs> Chalice is especially scared, taken aback by it. But the bum just wants a drink. He saw the bottle. So Chalice uses this as an opportunity to get some information out of him. Uh and this guy doesn't like Cochrane at all. He says Cochrane made the town what it is today, a dried up pile of nothing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well at first and, when he says it made it made the town what it is today, at first it seems like he's gonna compliment him, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, everybody else has nothing but good things to say about right. Cochrane so far, you know, Rafferty and so forth. But Cochran, it turns out, when he brought uh, Silver Shamrock novelties to Santa Mira, he brought in his own workers from outside. Now, I think some of the workers may be from in town, but certainly this guy here wasn't one of the people who... Ended up gainfully employed by the factory.
0: Right, they won't hire uh, me, but you know, on the other hand, I'm not sure I would yeah. hire him. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you don't know exactly what might be on his resume, but uh, so this guy, uh, and and he's probably just uh, just being fanciful and probably uh, more than a little bit drunk. But he he tells Chalice that he's planning to make some Molotovs and burn down the factory, and he. Wanders off down the street and he knows, he last... points out,
0: he knows there's a camera and they're being watched and everything. And, you know, so he's saying this stuff, knowing that, uh, people are probably yeah. This, you
1: know? So I think that, uh, that's more evidence in favor of drunkenness <laughs> because he's to the point where like, I don't care what they think, you know, and so on. And he wanders off mumbling last Halloween for them because <laughs> is going to burn down the factory and all that, which, uh. Although, uh, you can't always take guys like that lightly because uh, we'll remember um, office space. Right, right. <laughs> but also,
0: there's a little bit of a theme in here about the last Halloween, right? Um, mm mm-hmm. We'll see it come back a, a couple more times, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. So, you'd think after that we would go ahead and follow Chalice back to the motel, but no, instead we follow this bum— uh, back to his shack in a scrapyard. So, this is the second scrapyard we've seen. Uh, actually, it could even be the same scrapyard from the beginning, but I don't think so, but it's not important. Anyway, he's got a shack in there, and two of the business suit guys show up. And uh, once again, they made business. <laughs> it looks like at first, it looks like they're going to do the old skull crushing move. But no, they're just tearing his head off.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>, they're literally <laughs> just ripping off. Yeah, right. yeah. And I think yeah. they have one shot where like blood is spurting out of his corpse, right? No, oh, yeah. Very
1: very overdone. Yeah. You know, just this big jet flying into the air. So uh, it is gory, but it's not I mean, as far as gore goes, it's moderately toned down. I mean and I've for seen a me lot, honestly lot worse. Crushing
0: the skull is scarier than pulling off the head. I don't know. I bet uh, yeah, you know, yeah,
1: yeah. I I thought uh uh yeah that this wasn't quite as disturbing a scene to me, even there's though there's more blood in it and more, <laughs> you know, tendons and whatnot. Anyway, uh back at the motel, uh, while Chalice is still making his way back there. <laughs> Uh, from the uh, curfew-free, uh, it's like a duty-free shop, I guess, <laughs> the curfew-free shop. Back at the motel, Ellie's outside her room, and uh, she's startled by a car horn. It seems that Marge was in her car and accidentally pressed the horn. Uh, she apologizes, and uh, she starts complaining again about the uh, silver shamrock. This time, she shows Ellie a mask. Uh, and she says, the merchandise is slipping, and she shows her that each of these masks has a big disc, you know, about maybe an inch and a half across, something like that, with the silver shamrock logo on it. That's kind of the uh, seal of approval. And the disc fell off the mask, so, uh, you know, not good quality there. Marge then goes to her room. She puts the disc on a little bureau in there, uh, then she sets her purse on the bureau, and, and without realizing it, she knocks the disc down to the floor. I think we see it like flips over, and we see that there's some kind of
0: electronics on the back.
1: You know? yeah, yeah, there's some kind of microchip mm-hmm. embedded in the back of it. We can see. Meanwhile, Ellie gets herself a shower and wraps <laughs> herself in the you know, No, this, I got uh, to say, there's, spread. you know,
0: especially for the, the boys in the audience, there's a few seconds there where she's sort of reaching out of the shower. So we're kind of seeing her, you know, body through the shower uh, glass uh yeah. there you know you don't get the full shot but you get you know pretty good shot there for especially yeah. 1980s uh kids you know <laughs>
1: yeah yeah this is actually uh there, there's no real uh i wouldn't say anything that even really reaches the level of soft core pornography
0: well they get a little this, bit close the- shortly after this <laughs> yeah
1: there's there's one scene where uh Chalice uh puts his mouth on one yeah. of her breasts but uh, you don't quite see the whole thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. It gets <laughs> it, it gets a little bit steep. I mean,
0: what they don't do, which is you know, was done in a lot of those early eighties movies, right, is have the kind of um uh unmotivated, you know, full body shot or, or whatever, right? They don't they don't do
1: that. Yeah. So. Yeah. They they don't really uh Linger on stuff, uh, you know, that sort of prurient interest. Although, stuff. there is a
0: point where uh, Chalice shows his butt, if you recall that. So yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> I do remember that. Yes, yeah, so, oh, uh, yeah, he's a uh, he, he, he's he's uh, got, I suppose you would say, a dad bod, but <laughs> but a fairly fairly healthy one. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's hard. Anyway, uh, Ellie gets a shower, wraps herself up in one of the light, uh, light bedspread or something like that. And then, uh, meanwhile, Chalice is calling the coroner's assistant, I think from another payphone, uh, and the coroner's assistant, she says there seems to have been some kind of mix up, uh, because the bags that were delivered to the morgue, supposedly containing the remains of the guy who torched himself, these contain only burned car parts mm-hmm. as far as she can figure out. So Chalice returns to the motel. Ellie opens up her towel, uh, and, uh, yeah, the uh, the game is on. Uh, she's she's not too subtle about it, and it turns out that under her towel, uh, she has a very nice little outfit of black lingerie. And uh, you know, Rafferty had mentioned to her earlier that she uh, she packed pretty lightly. Yeah, so, they had one uh, she little tiny ahead. box.
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> and there's yeah. also a funny moment later. All of a sudden, now where where Chalice tells her, "Oh, you need to pack up," and it's like, "What you you?" guys brought like one i mean literally tiny (laughs) tiny little box of the idea packing up was kind of funny
1: so she packed some nut lingerie and uh so she's all ready now Mm. uh and then uh after some brief uh you know foreplay uh you know nothing too explicit as we already discussed uh we cut to them just cuddling in bed the afterglow i believe we'd call it and the uh the silver shamrock cat comes on the radio, talk about a mood killer. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, so Chalice changes the station, gets rid of that crap. Um, and Ellie is ready for round two. <laughs> She's a. Uh, this, I this know, doctor, he's like,
0: oh, you're energetic. and I'm, I'm like, I feel it. I'm like, you know, I want to play a video game or read a book. <laughs> you know,
1: <whatever> <laughs> I'm trying to sleep here. Let me drink my beer. <laughs> in the next room, meanwhile, uh, Marge is about to turn in. Uh, she's She's sitting in bed reading a book, and she's about to reach for the light on the nightstand and turn it off when she notices that silver shamrock disc lying on the floor. So she goes over and picks it up. She hadn't previously noticed, I guess, that there was a microchip in the back of it. Uh she pulls a bobby pin out of her hair uh and starts picking at it. And uh when she does this, uh she triggers something and a stream of blue light shoots hmm. into her mouth, which is a a serviceable special effect. Hmm. I wouldn't say it's one of the greats, but it yeah, good enough, you know, for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> This is not a high budget movie in mm-hmm. case we didn't mention that already. But uh, I, I think it's actually uh a lot of the stuff in it is very well done visually, like the cinematography and stuff like that. It's actually a good looking movie, mm-hmm. I think, but it's not it's not a high budget movie. So uh Ellie and Chalice hear noise from the room next door, but but they're otherwise occupied. <laughs> So so Marge isn't getting any help here. And we cut back to her, and she isn't doing very well. And this is kind of an ugly, I mean, it's just her, her she seems dead or very near dead, but her eyes are just almost completely red. Her face, her whole mouth is just distorted. It's like it almost exploded from the inside, mm. like there was one of those alien chest bursters or something. Um then, her lips look all like uh burned and dried out, and it's just nasty mm-hmm. uh and then to top it all off the the cherry on the Sunday is a big old bug crawls right out of her mouth. I don't know what it is; it kind of looks like a cricket, but I don't think it is it's something somewhere between a beetle and a cricket it looked like to me, I don't know nasty whatever it is and uh so I would say that uh Marge was right; the merchandise really is slipping. Mm-hmm. A little bit later, uh Chalice and Ellie are uh sleeping and uh, they're awakened by the arrival of a van. It's a van with the big silver shamrock logo on the side, but it's full of men in lab coats. Chalice comes out, sees uh, sees the stretcher being brought out, and he says he's a doctor. But uh but no one cares. Rafferty says Cochrane will take care of her. And speak of the devil, <laughs> Cochrane arrives. He's a pleasant old man, you know, apparently pleasant, although we do get intimations that there may be something sinister about him. I mean, beyond what we've already seen about the story in general. He doesn't always keep the mask up, mm-hmm. but uh he's dapper and distinguished. Uh, for people who have seen RoboCop, uh, he was the old man. Dan O'Hurley is the actor's name. Um, he was the old man. He's the one who towards the end of Robocop, he says, Dick, you're fired, (laughs) which in the context of the movie is a really great line, but I can't, uh, I will say from the movies we've watched, I've learned that, you know,
0: well-dressed, uh, silver haired older men are always, Evil. <laughs> so <laughs> so then it was an, uh, you know, escape to Witch Mountain and uh you know, you know.
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there are there are a lot of evil ones out there. But uh you know, you can't be prejudiced against all of them. That's just that's just bigotry. <laughs> so Cochrane has a quiet discussion with Rafferty, and uh Rafferty apparently knows a little bit about what's going on with the whole silver shamrock thing because uh Charles here's Rafferty see the word "misfire" in answer to Cochrane's question of what's going on here. And "misfire" uh, seems like an odd thing. Ellie yeah. and Chalice <laughs> go back to their room, <laughs> wonder what that meant. Uh, a misfire.
0: I'm not sure what a correct fire would have been. It just doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a it's a firing before the big giveaway. <laughs> uh, I guess we should
0: mention <laughs> that uh, Cochran assures them that they have this great facility for healing people at the Mask Factory, which we're not quite sure why <laughs> yeah. why they would have this, but okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, it is a company town. You know, you got to have the emergency eyewash stations <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, they uh, they get back to their room. They wonder about what they meant by misfire. Uh, they end up sleeping through the night, though they don't get back into bed. Chalice just dozes right in a chair, and then Ellie is curled up near him on the corner of the mm-hmm. bed. So it's like, I, I think, you know, he just zonked out, and she just wanted to be as close to him mm-hmm. as possible. But in the morning, the factory whistle sounds. It's the end of curfew, apparently. And... uh Chalice talks to the coroner's assistant again. I think he's using the phone in the motel office again. And uh, the assistant is more puzzled than ever. She says, in in all this stuff she's been sifting through, there's no evidence of teeth or bones or anything organic at all, just car parts. He asks her to look into Connell Cochran, and she writes down the name. He hangs up and leaves, but then the camera pans down a little, and we see a silver disc on the wall of the counter below the phone that is apparently some sort of listening device a mm. bug uh, which a bug i guess is especially appropriate given <laughs> the, the this movie uh and that's the end of the first half uh so a busy first half and more to come <laughs> so chalice and
0: ellie head to the factory well one of the creepy guys is watching them and uh, they they go in and there's kind of a you know office here and they say that they had a lost order of masks and they're trying to get information uh because you know her father had been there and had had gotten masks and everything and and so they're they're playing on that but they can't get any real information out of them and they're about to leave when the buddy cupfern family shows up so those were the folks who <laughs> uh you know had the the camper and and the bike that uh, fell in front of him and everything yeah and it turns out that buddy has sold more masks for them than anyone else in the country and the family is getting a tour of the factory and this is where it's really willy wonka right because you have the like the the (laughs) fat dad and the obnoxious kid and the tour of the factory and
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and uh Cupfer, I, I, you know, they're about to go on the tour, and Cupfer says something like, Hey, you I and my friends come along yeah. meeting Chalice and Ellie? And Cochran, you know, this is one of the points where the mask slips a little. He looks a little bit displeased momentarily, and uh, he's, but then he recovers and so says, Of course, I was just about to ask them. Yeah. <laughs> and he tells them that, you know, he
0: he apologizes for the unfortunate events the previous evening and says that the, the woman who was hurt has been flown to a hospital. So apparently, their, uh, you know, their in-house uh, facilities weren't weren't good enough, and she was flown to a hospital. So everything yeah. to be okay there.
1: A likely story, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, Chalice and Ellie get added to the factory tour, and the first thing we see is liquid being poured into molds, and then the mass being removed from them. They have a pretty large room with all that. Then we go into a room and it's full of old-style toys, most of which are animated. And by animated, I don't obviously I don't mean it's a cartoon. I mean that they're moving. You know, the toys are moving or uh, in some way you know, they're like
1: animatronics. Yeah, you know, like do- dummies with with moving parts.
0: And Buddy tells Chalice that Cochrane is famous for creating practical jokes. Why he invented sticky toilet papers? <laughs> like, okay, yeah. um, and, you know, I'm I'm really not into practical jokes, and this would be a, a great <laughs> great example of why. <laughs> and uh, then they get to a room with some of the masks that are actually painted, because the ones we saw earlier, right, were just the the first part of the mask, and they weren't painted or or anything. Right, there.
1: they were just the raw latex
0: the boy immediately wants one of them, but Cochrane says he can't have one of these because um, he can only have one that's been through final processing and <laughs> final processing mm-hmm. is going to turn out to be a pretty important concept. <laughs> and Betty wants to know about final processing, but Cochrane is cagey and he's like, oh, it's trade secrets. And we do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And we can't really tell you. <laughs> and also it involves volatile chemicals. So, you know, we wouldn't want to expose you to, to any of those. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, Chalice notices that the creepy guys they've been seeing around are guarding the factory and he kind of freaks out and he grabs Ellie and wants to leave. But then Ellie sees in a warehouse room, she sees her dad's car and she runs toward it. Now, plot wise, I'm not quite sure I understand this, but I guess in the you know, in the beginning of the movie, he ran I don't know, who knows. But anyway, she sees her dad's car. Uh, and she runs toward it, and several creepy guys, you know, step out of kind of nowhere to stop her from approaching it. So,
1: yeah. And Kupfer and Cochrane are standing at the delivery dock, and they can see this from there. And, you know, Kupfer seems a little bit concerned about what's going on with this sort of standoff. But, uh, you know, Cochran just p- puts on his most charming demeanor, and he says, trade secrets. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yep. Yeah, that settles it. So, uh, back at the hotel, you know, Allie and Chalice are
0: there, and Chalice wants to bring in the Marines, which is a little of a weird comment, but kind of out of the <laughs> blue. And he leaves the room to go to the main office so he can call someone, because, again, kids, people didn't all have phones back then. So. <laughs> Although, <laughs> usually, your hotel room would have a phone, but this is a dinky yeah. enough hotel room that it's yeah. realistic that they might not have had a phone in all the hotel rooms. right? Yeah. And he he's going to call someone with jurisdiction, but every number he tries can't be completed for some reason. So.
1: <laughs>
0: and then he returns to the room and guess what? Ellie is missing. <laughs> yeah. And then we get, you know, this uh pretty good shot of a phalanx of uh, creepy guys, you know, outside the door about to come in and they they break in the door. Um although I mean if they just stole Ellie, I don't know why they just weren't in the room already, but it,
1: whatever. <laughs>
0: so they break in the door and while they're doing that, he escapes out a window and runs down the street and he sees a car with Ellie pull into a garage and he uh, again tries a pay phone, but nothing will get through. And he sneaks around the building where he saw Ellie and he finds an open window and goes in and searches. And now we get, uh, he finds this room with an old woman knitting in a chair. And I felt like this is very sort of psycho. Also mm-hmm. there was a, uh, they would, I'm sure this wasn't a reference for them. They were probably thinking psycho, but if you remember the prisoner had this, there was the old woman in a chair knitting or something at some point who, who mm-hmm. turned out to be kind of evil, but that was a long mm-hmm. time ago. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I don't recall it, but it doesn't sound completely unfamiliar either. Yeah. I'll take your word for it.
0: So he asks the old woman where Ellie is, and he kind of grasps her, and her head rolls off. <laughs> it turns out she was mechanical, you know, we see. <laughs> and But she wasn't like an android. She wasn't like one of these creepy guys going around. She was just like a mechanical toy almost, right? Yeah. And he then gets grabbed from behind and thrown around, and one of the creepy guys approaches him, <laughs> and uh, he punches the guy in the face multiple times, so that doesn't do anything. But eventually he punches him in the stomach and his hand kind of goes through and is covered with this uh, oily goo. And it turns <laughs> out that uh, has decommissioned the creepy guy. So <laughs> I guess that's how you do it. Yeah. And also he pulls out a bunch of wires and stuff. So if you had any yeah. question about uh, what kind of guys these were. <laughs> and then more creepy guys show up and restrain him. And Cochran shows up. and There's it, it, a funny little thing here because he spends a little bit of time you know, because the um, the old woman's head is there, and he's upset that she was broken. Says so she was a rare piece, nineteen thirty five Germany. You know, we'll have to replace her.
1: And it's only, even though he says that, I think of the date he has was seventeen hundred. Sometime
0: minor okay. point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the weird thing is, he's standing right next to Chalice, but the, but he now notices him. Like when he was saying those things, he didn't realize he was there. But Cochran points out to Chalice that soon it will be Halloween morning and uh, he's going to be very busy and Chalice as a medical man should find it quite interesting. So I think this is kind of the excuse, like, because Chalice is a doctor, he wants to put him through, because he should just kill him now, right? But he
1: Yeah, does the evil overlord saying <laughs> yeah. you've got a monologue a little bit. Yeah. You know? uh,
0: so he leaves him alive so he can observe, you know, his brilliance or whatever. And then we see it's Sunday the 31st, which is Halloween. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Chalice is taken to the final processing room. And in the elevator on the way, Cochran talks about creating these androids, you know, the the creepy guys. And he talks about how actually it turned out the internals were pretty easy, but you know, the externals turned out to be tough.
1: I, I wanted to mention on the way to final processing, they go back outside on that delivery dock. And I hadn't, I, I, I may have noticed it before, but I, I didn't remember it. If I had, while they're walking along with the, you know, trellis being escorted by androids and all that, uh, Cochran just pauses for a minute and sort of stands and looks out off the dock, you know, into the into the parking lot and presumably the distance beyond. Uh, and he just has this sort of air of like taking a deep breath and. Uh, thinking, oh, what a beautiful morning, <laughs> what an <laughs> exciting day. Uh, just a, you know, it was just a neat little, just a you know, one-second moment that I thought was kind of cute. Right. Anyway, go on.
0: And when they get to the final processing room, it turns out here is the missing stone from Stonehenge. <laughs> so, yeah. them, like, you know, 90 minutes ago, uh, that reference, which they haven't repeated or anything. So, you know, if you, <laughs> if you missed the few seconds at the beginning of the film—
1: he talks, uh, he, he says something like, you wouldn't believe what a time we had getting it here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> But right. But as you mentioned, he doesn't explain how they got it there, right? So it's yeah. this <laughs> massive you know, thing, and he's just like, yeah, that was an adventure. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> um, and he shows, because again, yes, he's the bad guy who has to do a monologue now. He shows uh, Chalice how they're taking particles from the stone hinged stone and putting them in the discs that are attached to the mass. And then he shows him Ellie on a monitor and she's strapped to a table and apparently unconscious. Then we see buddy's family being taken into a room and the room is dressed up like a living room. And we can hear the family (laughs) talking, although we see when they go in, they don't see this. We see when they close the door, it says test room one um now there's a big plot problem here there's a couple of plot problems right because they're going to test stuff nah. on these guys but it's already halloween <laughs> like this stuff's already <laughs> all rolled out and also later they're coming on we see um that all these you know android workers are chipping pieces off the stone but it's already halloween like all the masks are already out there you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, yeah so it's just kind of funny but uh, So Buddy's family is taken into this room and you know Buddy is, uh, thinks that Cochran wants him to give feedback on some commercials or something. I don't think we mentioned uh, one thing about the wife and the actress does a pretty good job for a small amount of time because the very first time earlier in the film when, when they met Chalice, she's like you know bending backwards and doing all this stuff to kind of be sexy even though she's in the context of the film not really a sexy woman. And then and at that point, buddy had said something that was kind of like, to me, it sounded like he's into wife swapping or something. Cause he's kind of like, Oh, nah. look at that, you know, <laughs> uh, but, uh, we don't, we don't explore that further, but, uh, she, although what she does at multiple points in the film, make it clear that she's, you know, a very sexy person and she's, you know, uh, always touching up her lips or, or doing whatever. So buddy thinks he's supposed to give some opinion on television commercials Meanwhile, while they're waiting for that to start, he's concerned that the factory isn't accepting his mask orders for next year. And his wife jokes that maybe they aren't having Halloween next year, you know, which, <laughs> which so that fits into the theme of the film, right? Obviously, this is going to oh, be kind of yeah. like the last Halloween, but it doesn't really make any sense that the office would not accept his orders. I mean, why not accept the orders and not, not cause suspicion, right? But uh, oh, yeah. it allows you to have this line. So. <laughs> <laughs> And Cochran now has the television turned on, and it's the final version of the commercial. You know, they're seeing ahead of time the one that's going to be shown to everyone tonight. And the commercial instructs the kids to put on their mask and watch the magic pumpkin, which constantly flashes.
1: Yeah, and this is, of course, the pumpkin that we saw constructed in the opening credits. Yeah.
0: And the boy puts on his mask and then we, see, and actually they did a pretty good job here. It's probably a pretty simple shot, but still pretty good because as the pumpkin is flashing on the screen, we're seeing the disc on the back of his neck flash. Right. But almost from reflections, I think they just had a light. They were probably turning on or off or something. Oh, pointing yeah. at it. Um And then he, the mask sort of constricts onto his face and he falls over and insects and snakes start coming out of the mask. So it's a little weird. Yeah. And the mother faints at this, and Buddy freaks out and tries to get out of the room, but the door is locked, and then the snakes start biting him. <laughs> and they actually did i – I'm not sure how they did it. They did a pretty good job of the snakes, like, biting – you know, jumping up and, and biting at his, his legs. So I don't mm-hmm. know if they were – you know, usually you would do, like, a yeah. reverse shot where you're pulling it off of him, you know, and then doing it in a reverse right. or something. I don't know. But it was – whatever they did was pretty effective.
1: Well, yeah, the the rattlesnake that looked like it was really biting something. Yeah, uh, right. I mean, it like really lunging, so it was very convincing if it was fake, but I think it was probably just like a wax leg or something right. that uh, they gave it to bite. And then we end
0: this scene, you know, with what I mentioned earlier where we're watching the creepy workers using picks to take pieces off the big stone even though, you know, everything's already pretty much over. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh and now we see and this is kind of weird, but it's it's well done. It wouldn't surprise me if it was, you know, some kind of second unit footage where you have the assistant director do it or something. We see this montage of kids across the country running along with their masks and a lot um and they're going home to watch the the big show. And in a good number of these, they have some actually pretty uh Pretty nice looking sunset shots uh, behind them, mm-hmm. know, the colored sky and everything.
1: Yeah, and we we'll get subtitles like Omaha, Nebraska, yeah. or you know, etc. So to make it clear, like Dayton, Ohio, was one too. I think <laughs> where yeah, it's making it clear that this is a nationwide phenomenon. Here. Yeah, it's not just Santa Mira that's uh, affected, or not just California. Yeah, it's uh, it's they're, they're neat scenes that I don't know if. Any of them have anything that would particularly identify these places nah, as being, they're totally <laughs> random. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they just shot them all somewhere right there in yeah. California with everything else. So meanwhile, the coroner's assistant
0: is using a dial phone <laughs> to call the hotel where Chalice <laughs> is staying, but the call can't be completed. And she calls someone else, We don't, Roger, I think, we don't really know who he is, and she says she doesn't think the pieces from the car fire are actually car parts. And she wants him to look at it because, you know, she's figuring out that it's like, you know, an Android part or something. Hmm. And then uh, as she's talking to him, we see a creepy guy entering the lab. And then she uh, and and I don't really understand what this was. It makes no sense to me. She's staring at the ashes and the parts and she has a sudden realization and it causes her to try and call the sheriff. Like, what? You know, mm-hmm. why would you suddenly call the sheriff? You, you know, I don't know. But it's too late. The creepy guy is there, and he's found a drill in the office and uh, in, the, in the lab. And he sticks it through her ear. I mean, it's it's off screen. Yeah. It's,
1: uh, <laughs> it's a little disturbing nonetheless. Yeah. yeah. One thing I wanted to mention was that, you know, before, during the phone call where Chalice had— Asked her to look into Colonel Cocker, and we saw that there was a bug mm. listening in on the whole thing. So that's probably why the android was sent out right. here to deal with. I her. didn't notice
0: that, but it was still to me like I just didn't understand what it was she realized and why that would. Like, let's say she realized somehow by looking at these parts, oh, it was an android, which wouldn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Why would you immediately call the sheriff? I mean, it just didn't you know like. Oh, android, I better call the sheriff. Okay,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh anyway. Well,
1: like <laughs> like maybe it just fell into her head finally that like, oh wait, these parts were the guy who torched himself. Right. And then, you know, once she realized that she had to tell somebody right away. <laughs> I don't know.
0: So meanwhile, <laughs> this is just such classic old style film and James Bond and everything. Cochrane has Chalice, <laughs> you know, tied to a chair. Not just tied, he has like multiple things around his chest, right? Um, yeah,
1: I think it's actually like a dolly that he's tied right. to, you know, like one of those two wheeled things. Mm. And, uh, he's going to have
0: to watch the TV while all this goes down. So, you know, it's the classic, I'm going to, uh, the bad guy is going to leave the good guy here and then walk away and, you know, not verify what's going on or not have someone watching him in the room <laughs> or any of those things. like, he's got plenty of creepy androids. He could have just left one in the room <laughs> to watch him. Right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh,
0: and and also he now monologues we know that's always a mistake right about uh, <laughs> how this is all a big joke on the children and again i don't quite understand his motivations on the one hand he's like oh it's sort of a practical joke on the children on the other hand he gets into this very intense thing where he's talking about um early irish history and what halloween meant and how they all were in their little you know mud huts and You know, during Halloween was the time when the barriers were down between, uh, you know, the real and the unreal. And even though he's talking about something that happened apparently 3,000 years ago, it's pretty clear from what he's saying that he was there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's an immortal or, you know, has something weird about him. But it's just a little odd to
1: me. (laughs) I don't know if he was necessarily there or he just has a great nostalgia for that time period and wants to bring it back um but and and he also he he chalice guesses at one point you're talking about witches and that's uh you know hence the title season of the witch or the subtitle so yeah
0: i i okay even watching this a couple times i didn't even really catch on to him saying witches so to me the subtitle was a little weird right it's just it doesn't Ah, have much to do with the movie honestly So yeah (laughs) Uh, but yeah, he says the last great festival took place 3,000 years ago and the hills ran red with blood. So apparently that's <laughs> what can happen this time. Oh, and he also says the planets are in alignment. And it, this reminded me. So I was at this cult facility in Iowa. <laughs> this is my weird history. And it would have been around this time. And there was this point where the planets were in alignment. Um Ooh, yeah. And I remember... Uh, so there were these conspiracy theories that weird things would happen with gravity, and you know the earth would be destroyed, or whatever. We had this really sweet young girl who was in this school and she was a talented artist, but she was very naive. she was one of those people who'd you know believe any kind of meme or something else that sent her way and so we we did this cruel thing where we put a picture of her next to the word "naive" in the dictionary, huh. And then I think we were talking about this planets lining up or whatever, right? Cause she believed in all this. She believed literally the world was going to end. And we somehow we maneuvered the conversation about the definition of the word naive and we got her to get the dictionary and look it up. Yes. And then her picture was there. <laughs> so I'm kind of thinking that. So anyway, the whole reason I say that is I think there was probably at
1: this time, uh, this thing where the planets were in alignment and that's what they're referring to. So. Yeah. I, I don't remember what year it was. It was sometime in the eighties though. Um, I remember seeing Carrie Fisher interviewed on David Letterman, and she was talking about she had been in Central Park and seemed like New Age people doing their mm. drum circles or whatever. <laughs> there, huh. All
0: right, so uh, apparently the planets being in alignment and Stonehenge and whatever, and witches in Ireland, and so and we're not going to have Halloween next year so he puts a skull mask on chalice and wishes him a happy
1: halloween and leaves um nah i wouldn't want to wear one of those masks for any money yeah <laughs> not after what chalice saw
0: and uh now you know that what's on tv i guess as we said before the big show is we get a a number of shots from the original halloween movie um with uh curtis what's her name um Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, Jamie Lee yeah. Curtis like walking around the outside of a house. It's, I don't remember that part of the movie. It's been too long. but And meanwhile, Chalice manages to scoot his chair or whatever it is so he can kick in the TV
1: screen. And he's yeah. actually very clever and here. Mm-hmm. It, it's also worth mentioning that not only is the movie on the TV, but it's a part of the movie where that the famous Halloween theme music is playing yeah. very prominently. So you've got the... Uh, you know, you've got that Halloween and this Halloween. <laughs> right. it's, it's a mind-bender, man. <laughs> and then uh, after
0: smashing in the TV, Chalice uses something to cut his restraints. Now, normally in movies like this, you know, Mission Impossible or something, you'll see them take a knife or something or take a pen or something at some point that they then use it. I don't know what it was he had. I don't uh, know why he had it.
1: I, I've got your answer okay. because I actually I had a I had a suspicion, and I watched closely to see if it was right. And it was right, because I'm just that good. <laughs> it was a a large shard of glass from the shattered television uh, screen.
0: You know, I totally miss that. I mean, the director did nothing to—like, we don't see him— reaching for glass yeah. we don't see you know yeah okay but yeah uh,
1: and it's kind of a dim room right. that they're filming right. it a well, good catch show, but yeah. i'm still
0: gonna blame the director because i just didn't, <laughs> didn't and i was curious and i couldn't figure it out so ah. uh, and then, <laughs> this is kind of funny because you know there's one of the cameras in the upper corner of the room and so once he's uh cut his uh restraints he does the most amazing throw in history where he takes the <laughs> skull mask and throws it and it completely covers the camera and I'm like okay you'd have to do that like one you know 1 to 500 times to make
1: that Oh work. yeah yeah and it's just he doesn't even put any arm into it you know, it's just a flick of the wrist and man good throw yeah. I guess that's why uh, you know maybe his doctor training gave yeah, him those uh, reflexes who knows <laughs> he then manages to uh
0: unscrew a vent and he gets into one of those perfectly human-sized ventilation shafts i mean <laughs> I, there must be like a special you know factory you order these from
1: right? <laughs> <laughs> but at least this isn't one of those shafts that's like you know three feet high i mean this is just barely right. big enough for well, the, the
0: other imagine. thing always missing from these it's the reality like especially they don't really do this so much anymore but they did you know 20 plus, 20 years ago and so right they would have the um the are the false ceiling, right? Um, you know, oh, offices. Yeah, the drop ceiling. Yeah, and that's always terrible because if you actually go up there, and, and I've done this, you know, um, there's rat, dead rats, and every and dust and everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's why you know they've had this concept that they would call of a sick building, right? And sometimes that was just that you had all these dead, decaying animals in the drop ceiling um, ah. that were making people sick. You know, now Ooh. if you go into most places, they don't have that, and that's why you'll see just sort of the you know yeah, the bare yeah. um, uh, pipes and and everything. Anyway, it seems <laughs> like
1: that was a was a plot point in some movie or TV show I saw, where like somebody had their hidden stash of whatever, and they hid it up above one of the panels in the drop ceiling. But, right. but I digress. Well
0: this vent, as is, is <laughs> usually the case with these vents, is miraculously clean. They clearly have people <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> go through and clean it up all the time. Bye. And uh while he's going through the ventilation shafts, Cochrane is informed that the camera in his room, I think it's camera number two, isn't working. So creeps go into the room and discover that he's gone and uncover the camera. Meanwhile, he gets outside and he finds a room with a phone. You know, back in those days, it was so important to find someplace with a phone. <laughs> and, and, and oh my God, I mean, kids wouldn't learn. I mean, I've been in those situations like you're on the street, you want to call a cab. There's no, you know, you're trying to find a payphone. Like there was no, I mean, it was really oh, yeah. difficult back in those days to communicate. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we even, oh, I remember one time. So we find a payphone, we call a cab. And the cab shows up and the guy insists that we're not his passengers because there's no phone nearby that he can see that we could have called him from. I mean, <laughs> that's how it was back then, right? Um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, he finds a phone and he calls his ex-wife. And the th- he's kind of hysterical at this point and he's makes no sense at all. And he's begging her not to let the kids use the mask. And he's talking about people dying and, you know, and, what happened to buddy's family and all this and of course she's just like you're drunk because you know it's a it's sort of in the background of the film but it's clear he's kind of an alcoholic and um yeah you know she's had to deal with this a lot so she doesn't want to hear any of it
1: Um, and she also thinks he's trying to undermine her because she got the kids the cool masks and now he's he's trying to that makes sense too yep
0: and also he's supposed to have taken them tonight, so he stuck the kids with her, uh, so yeah. none of this is good oh, yeah. And she doesn't listen to him, but uh he manages to find Ellie you know, in the room where she was she was trapped to the table, and he gets her loose, and the creeps are after them, and uh he gra- you know as they're running through some room, he grabs a box that is full of those discs that go on the back of the mass. And he this is a pretty uh, big leap of logic he manages to make here. It works out. So he 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 realized what he can do with them. He sneaks into the control room, you know, where the Stonehenge thing and all the people are. And um he he finds a, a control panel and, and pushes some buttons that cause the commercial to start up. I'm not quite sure why. I think mostly it's to for the you know uh the visual well, and audio of
1: it. But well, I, I think he knew that. That was the plan because Cochrane had already monologued him at that point. Right. Uh, so, Charless knew the plan was for the commercial to trigger the discs. Mm-hmm. And he knew the discs could be triggered because of Marge, yeah. what happened to her. I guess and her that makes sense. Door. I mean,
0: I guess I, it wasn't clear to me that the commercial was triggering the discs. but I, But, you know, it makes sense. You're right in the plot of the film.
1: Yeah. And another thing I wanted to mention, because I don't know that I ever really... I I may have subconsciously noticed it before, but I never really, I don't think, explicitly noticed it, that the TV monitors and computer equipment that are controlling this whole operation are arranged in a circle with these big uh, high racks with television monitors on them that are like the standing stones of Stonehenge. Mm. So it's like the control center is its own miniature Stonehenge, and, of course, it's all lined up with the big stone across the room.
0: Okay. Well, Well, okay. So that explains something. I mean, obviously I noticed they were in a circle. I did not realize they were reflecting Stonehenge, but the thing that happens soon will fit into that. So it totally makes sense. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Um. So, uh, Chalice and Ellie now go up to a catwalk above the room and he drops the disc from the box onto all the creeps and it shorts them out. I guess, like you say, because the commercial was playing, those were activated and somehow them being activated shorted out the androids. And well, I guess it's good for him that it worked out. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and they were just shooting out blue beams of evil and all the stuff (laughs) that those discs do. Yep. So at the end
0: of all this, uh, only Cochran is still standing. All the androids are now uh, on the floor, dead. And this is where, like, you you know, I didn't put together what you said, but it makes sense because... Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense because now all the monitors that are in this circle, um, the light from the monitors combines together and generates this blue circle of light. So, right. if, if you, yeah, being a, the idea that they're replicating Stonehenge makes sense at this point, and then. Uh, you know, Cochrane is standing there and he kind of, he looks up at them in the walk, and he does, he sort of clap, does this little clap of like, congratulations, you. Yeah, a little you know.
1: sarcastic slow clap. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: and then light shoots out from the Stonehenge stone, uh, to Cochrane and he sort of turned into dust. So I don't know if he was like being punished or, you know, for failing or yeah. what, but
1: it's, um, you know. we, we see him turn white and then he just actually fades into nothing. Yeah. He just literally vanishes. Uh, so it may be that he's actually being transfigured in some way. And, you know, maybe, maybe he is like the uh, perfect sacrifice and human sacrifice will never again be needed. <laughs> you could find a whole religion on that.
0: Yep. And so then Chalice and Ellie run from the building and we see this very matted in fiery background, right? So you have the factory or the hotel or whatever they're running and, and you have this, you know, com- totally matted in, you know, fiery background, but it looks pretty compelling.
1: Yeah, it is. It is not entirely convincing, but it is also cool looking. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll take it. I'll allow it.
0: And they get in the car and flee. And, uh, you know, he's Chalice is like switching around the radio stations and, uh, on the radio, kids are being urged to hurry home so they can watch the show. And he says, you know, we've got to do something. But Ellie is oddly unresponsive. Now, I don't know if you can remember back to when you first watched this, but what I had noticed, I was not surprised. You're in a good way because there's a subtle little thing, which is from the time he found her tied up on that table and released her, she has never said one word.
1: Well... Maybe she just knows her place. I know. That's terrible. No, I uh, I don't think I noticed that the first time I saw it. I think that came as a surprise. Right. So, ever since then, it hasn't been. So such I a
0: had kind of noticed that. So this didn't totally surprise me, but it was. it's not like it was a bad thing in the film. It was like it made sense, right? She hadn't said anything. And now he kind of notices she's not saying anything. And she now goes Terminator on him, right? <laughs> and she pushes her hand in his face and probably is trying to crush it the same way we saw in that first, uh, that first scene where, and the car crashes into a tree and one of her mechanical arms gets ripped off. So she's been totally replaced and, but she attacks him with her other arm and then he gets like a tire arm out of the trunk and smashes her with it and rips off her head. (laughs) And I will say, you know, an awful lot of androids in and movies get their heads torn off. So it just seems
1: to be an <laughs> yeah. error. Well, in this case, though, it's about is fair play, you know, because that poor bum got the same yeah. treatment. <laughs> um, so he gets back in the car and, does, and he goes
0: and closes the passenger side door, but he doesn't pay attention to the fact that her arm is sitting there on the passenger side door, right? The that was ripped <laughs> off. So, of course, that comes to life and tries to – uh to strangle him and he gets out of the car and it's trying to strangle him. It's kind of funny because you can tell uh, you can tell exactly what they're doing right? When he gets out of the car it's her it's a real her real arm and she's just like sitting mm. down there you know below the camera <laughs> and then of course they switch at a certain point to the you know the, the model but uh, yeah uh, so it's trying to strangle him and then he throws that away and the rest of Ellie's body takes one more chance at him it's kind of it really is kind of a Terminator thing where she keeps showing up
1: yeah, the last time's kind of anticlimactic, though. <laughs> she just sort of runs up to him and then runs out of steam. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, he runs away. And this is kind of
0: clever, right? Because what we get is a reprise of the first shots of the film where the guy was running to the gas station. Well, now yeah. he's running to the exact same gas station
1: <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: for the same reason, right? Because he now knows what's going on. And so this the the attendant of the gas station is the same guy. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Chalice gets on the phone in the gas station because, again, back in those days, it was all about finding a, the next phone. And he, <laughs> this is really, really weird. To me. <laughs> he gets on the phone. Somehow he knows who to call or how to call the TV station or whatever. And he's begging them to turn off the the show, right?
1: Um and, and he may be calling some higher authority because it seems like it it's able to get it the multiple. Right. Well that's one thing that wouldn't make
0: sense, right? That. Yeah. If you called one TV station, they couldn't turn off the other set of shows, right? right? So he begs whoever he's talking to, he begs them to turn off the show. And and he he totally sounds insane, right? But for some yeah. reason, whoever he's talking to decides to listen to him and turns it off. But um, in the meantime, these kids in masks have come in, which is very convenient, into the gas. Like, why were these kids here? Why did they come to a gas station? It doesn't make any sense, <laughs> right? But anyway, these kids in the masks come into the gas station and they're looking at the TV. And when, um, the, when it turns off, uh, they switch to another channel. Then that one turns off. Then they switch to a third channel. And that one is still going. And uh, mm-hmm. he's, Chalice is screaming, turn it off, turn it off. Right? <laughs> and we kind of get yeah. his voice becomes echoey. He's like, the third channel is still showing it. And that's the end <laughs> of the movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And of course, the the third channel—that's a very, uh, very '80s thing because uh, that's what you generally had: ABC, NBC, and <laughs> right. CBS. And then you'd have some UHF and you know other things, but mainly you'd have three main channels. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yep. I guess since since it's your choice, I guess my reaction here—I mean, what, what I put—you know—I put Carpenter's films on this spectrum as I mentioned earlier. So I think the thing right. is an A film. I think that uh, They Live is a B film, but it's, you know, a lot mm. of fun. Uh, for me, this is kind of a C film.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, fair fair enough. I, I was going to say it's at least a B <laughs> minus film. But, but I mean, in, in terms of, you know, plot coherence and, you know, just various aspects, it's like, I think it's a film that punches well above its weight, but its weight isn't all that weighty to start with. <laughs>
0: Well, and I, I think I forgot to mention in the beginning, we talked about, you know, it didn't do well and they, they dropped this concept after this ride and went back to just having Michael Myers every time. Um, but it did become a cult classic, right? It became one of those that, that apparently has a, an ongoing audience and everything. So there's something about it that mm-hmm. that, that people tie into. Well,
1: I, I wanted to mention actually, uh, yeah, I mentioned I had done some research, uh, Beforehand, not a lot. I read a couple articles, but one of them was from a place called Alamo Draft House. Mm-hmm. It's a, like a theater that uh, has special events, and I think it was for this past Halloween, they wrote an article because that was their Halloween movie this year, was Season of the Witch, and um, they had a very good description of it. And and what triggered that was you mentioning that this movie has a cult following. Mm-hmm. You know the the uh, they had a good point about the movie that had never really occurred to me before. They said uh, the the message of this movie is that television rots your brain. Which <laughs> <laughs> is very, very literally true yeah. in this movie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I think... First of all, there's just these weird disconnects, right? Like every time about the title, I mean, like the word witch maybe was mentioned once, as you said in the whole thing. So season yeah. of the witch is a little weird to be in the title yeah. when there's no witch in the Of course, the they did
1: have the witch masks too, I which guess, were everywhere. Yeah,
0: And, uh, but it feels like something like, oh, they sold it on that title. And then when they wrote it, they just forgot to
1: put the witch in or something. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Conal Cochran was the witch. Yeah, And
0: you know, weird things like, I mean, like when you complain about the Daleks plans in a lot of their stories, right? It's like, so the plan was to have the kids have the mask and then insects would come out of their face and what, you know, and then a snake would bite the dad or, I mean, like, I don't get the plan. I don't, I don't get it.
1: It's, it's the big, it's the big sacrifice to the, uh, to the old gods. Uh, I guess so to bring back the old ways, you know, restore <laughs> balance to the universe, whatever. Right.
0: The problem is <laughs> that Cochrane never told us any of that, right? So, yeah, well, he kind of...
1: he did in his brief monologue, but he really packed a lot into that short time right. frame, you know. So,
0: um, so, you know, yeah, for me, I, I have to say, at the end, so acting, well, let's go through some of the elements, right? I, I agree with Ebert. I, I think that the woman who played Ellie uh, was probably one of the more interesting parts of it. Mm-hmm. She had a lot of energy and personality and, you know, in a way that, like, you just have to have that, right? I mean, not everybody can do that on screen.
1: Yeah, she didn't feel tacked on, I don't think. Right. She felt like she was her own character. And, and also, had even though they part. had
0: a relationship in this, she didn't feel like just the sex object. And she also didn't feel, yeah. and this is like something they have a very hard time doing today, right? Which is, she, as you said, she didn't feel tacked on or inserted. It wasn't like, oh, here's a woman, and now she's doing this, right? It just didn't. It's just like she's a character, and she's there. And I, and I think that that's, right. um, you know, that's really nice. He's a little wooden, <laughs> you know, but uh,
1: yeah, you know, uh, the Atkins, I mean,
0: yeah, or uh, Chalice, yeah, really, yeah,
1: it's yeah, yeah, he, uh, or Tommy, yeah,
0: Tom Atkins, I guess, right, you yeah
1: yeah no that's that, that's fair i mean uh yeah, you know, it's not exactly Macbeth either, but uh you know he's uh yeah, that's fair he's not bad but He's though. still he's, fun. He's not bad yeah uh um, yeah he just i think there's a certain kind of genuineness that just to at least to me right he just sort of conveys like I could see myself sitting at the bar with him having a drink yeah you know, that's, and true. That, that's true that's so true on um
0: you know uh i mean i liked the actor doing cochran i swear i've seen him in other stuff but when i also looked Mm, up his background uh, i wasn't sure i'd really seen him but you know there's certainly other actors like him but it may very well be as you mentioned i didn't catch this um him being in robocop probably that's what i recognized him from
1: yeah it could be yeah
0: um and uh he's you know chewing up the scenery the way the villain should and, you
1: know. in the best of ways. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, uh, he's one of my more, uh, you know, one, one of my upper tier villains, I think, you know, even though the, the movie as a whole well, you know, like a, it, it's more than the sum of its parts, I guess <laughs> you could say, but some of the parts are pretty good too.
0: Well, so. I think kind of like what you had mentioned, uh, when we watched, Oh, those are the moon base, right. Um, I, I enjoy this more having talked about it than just watching it. Right. And, and um, so I think that brings out some of the, some of the fun of the movie. Uh, Also, as we said, it's a little bit over 90 minutes, which of course uh, I think all, almost all creative work should be 90 minutes. So I appreciate it when, um, (laughs) when that, because, you know, you basically have your three acts and your, each act gets 30 minutes and you're done and there's no reason to, you know, only rarely is it does a movie deserve going past that um right and of course you you know i know you're always in favor of the uh more efficient <laughs> storytelling oh yeah you know i think where the downside in the acting is just and it's just one of these cases i think in low budget films where i think the problem is just that they can't um they just have to shoot the scene and move on right and so Certain things like early on when he first goes and meets his ex-wife and she has certain lines and the kids have lines and those lines are so cheesy. And I think that if you, if it was a higher budget film, you could do that scene 10 times and the actors kind of calm down and get into it. And if anything, you know, this Kubrick would do this on purpose, right? He would make someone do the scene 20, 30, 40 times because what he wanted them to do was to stop acting. Uh, Uh, he wanted them to get to the point where they just knew the words and they were just saying the words and they weren't, you know, coming across artificially. Um, And I think that's what you see in these is that, Oh, you do one or two takes and they're just kind of doing a superficial take on the lines and then you move on. Right. Yeah. Um, And, and that's like, that's what's different between that and kind of an a film where, where, you know, it doesn't feel like it's superficial whenever they say the lines. Right.
1: Yeah. Although, I mean, there's not a whole lot of weighty stuff to really deliver <laughs> yeah. in this movie. You know, it's, I mean, and, and the stuff that where it does require, you know, like uh, when Connell Cochran is doing his monologue, you know, we would light the fires and, you know, shiver through the night in our mud huts and so on. Mm. You know, I mean, when 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 he's getting all sinister like that, I think he does. Yeah. I think he did it very well.
0: No, I and mean, well, I think that's. I mean, that's always the amazing thing about some of these more experienced actors, right? And he was clearly a very experienced actor at that time. Is they can, and that that's what was amazing in Star Wars with um again, I'll space on his name uh Obi Wan yeah, Kenobi or yeah, Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness. I mean, he's coming in, and you know, a lot of these were very silly lines. And he's able to deliver a silly line in a very profound way, right? Yeah. Uh, and that Not just so comes from,
1: clumsy or random is a blast. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> that just comes from that kind of experience and training, right? I mean, you just have to have yeah. that, and and so, and I have huge respect for especially, um, you know, character actors or side actors who may only have a few lines in a film, and they manage to. Um, create a character and, and communicate that character in those few lines. But yeah, I think you usually right. do see it in older actors who really, really just have a lot of experience. <laughs>
1: yeah. And a lot of the time we've discussed actors in the past who a lot, a lot of those older actors are the ones who really go in just to, just to have fun, yeah. you know, just to yeah. kick back. Yeah. And well, have they're have not trying time. to create
0: a career for themselves. You know, they know how things work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for me, what it comes down to on the worth-watching side is that I would not drag, at least at this point, maybe as I see it a couple more times and get more into the the cheesy aspects, but I, I wouldn't be dragging it onto the couch.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I probably, uh, well, prison company excluded. <laughs> most people, most people I wouldn't uh, require to see it. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd, I'd tell people I like it. I, yeah. I really do like it. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, i always enjoy seeing it again um but but yeah it's not uh i wouldn't say it's a must see but if it sounds at all appealing to you from the discussion we've had uh it's probably worth your while yeah well you know carpenter remains uh
0: one of our favorites and th- th- you know another sort of maybe c-level one that i i've started watching but never finished is that um Saint 16 or 17 or whatever uh assault, um, yeah Precinct, assault on, so September, you know that's one yeah. to watch at, at some point uh oh, okay uh and uh, is there anything else he's done oh you know uh i was talking to someone recently about the fact that we were doing escape from new york and he's like oh have you seen his um vampire one or whatever later on so he did a few films later on that may be worth taking a look at at some point Yeah, Uh,
1: vampires with uh uh, oh james woods mm -hmm. uh is the, the lead in that and it's uh i haven't seen it for years but i watched it a few times and it uh it was a fun one it's I would say it's probably another B minus <laughs> <laughs> as far as overall movie you know uh, status goes, but uh, but I found it quite enjoyable. I wouldn't yeah, mind watching. In the Mouth Man. of Madness, too, or something with Sam. Uh, what's his name? So I haven't seen that one, but that sounds like one I'd like to see right. actually.
0: So uh, you know, I think the the interesting it's just so fascinating with Carpenter that um, he's not like a Kubrick where every film is this you know polished gem, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he has these really, really, as we say, B or C level movies, then he has the thing. And then he, has, so it's just so, you know, interesting. And he is also one of those very rare directors who had multiple huge successes or, you know, we would call the thing a huge success. It's a huge success over time. It It wasn't. released
1: sort of a slow burner you know
0: but but it's (laughs) it it will forever be on best of lists going forward right so it's it's a huge success in in that way um so he's just that rare director who between halloween and the thing and and you know um uh you know they live has 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 you know managed to nail it in multiple Mm -hmm. times and not just doing the same thing over and over again right he he didn't just redo Halloween over and over again, which would some people. Right. Well, next up, it's actually a little hard to say because of our, of our scheduling here. Uh, it's probably going to be our next, uh, Kubrick film, but I can't be sure of that. So, uh, it <laughs> just, don't you mean Kurosawa? that would be true because no. oh yes <laughs> just uh because they both start with a k i uh, uh and i was just talking <laughs> about kubrick uh, i mix them up right so probably it's going to be hidden fortress uh with a friend of the podcast andrew heaton unless uh something changes and it's something different so <laughs> come back <laughs> next week to to find out uh what we're listening to or what we're watching how about that <laughs> <laughs>